can you lose your salvation? Can you lose your salvation? I realize this particular topic is one of those hot topics in the church. It's one of those things that, you know, you turn on, especially in this city, you turn on the radio, Christian radio, you're going to get one particular view. You turn on the television, you're going to get two or three different particular views about it. Uh, And so often our theology, unfortunately, is not shaped from Scripture because we're not going to the Scripture to find the answers that we need like we should. If we will go to the Word of God and find out what God has to say, find out what the Bible says, then I believe that we will not be tossed about among some of these issues and really some of these divisive doctrines that, are, that come to the church. Um, and I want to just, and I, it's, it's difficult for me to go in this direction today and, and I don't know, this is one of those messages where I kind of ask God, God, can I not talk about this? You know, the the old adage applies, doctrine divides. I'm not here to split the church. I'm not here today to all of a sudden throw you, if you've been taught one way, to throw you for a loop and make you somehow think that, you know, everything you have been taught and you have learned through the years is just been upset. At the same time, I want to be true to the Word. And that's where we're going to go today. We're going to go to the Word of God. As I mentioned, if you uh, can be here next Sunday, I want to talk about the fact that Jesus is coming back. He is coming back. And then December the 5th, we're going to wind up with uh, the great judgment and how that ought to affect our lives now. But this particular topic is one that many people grow up believing one way or they grow up believing another. And it is one of those subjects that you will find you will somehow begin to try to finagle a position that makes you feel comfortable. I'm not here to make you feel comfortable today. In fact, I'm not here to shake anybody who somehow feels or is worried about their salvation. If you're here today and you're a little bit worried about where you stand with Christ, I am not here to preach to you. I'm here to preach to the one who has decided that they can just be lazy spiritually. That somehow their spiritual existence sort of depends on everything outside of themselves. Now, can we get something straight? And let me just, really, the Bible says this, and the prophet Amos said it in in Amos chapter 6 and verse 1. He said, woe to those who are at ease in Zion. Woe to those who are at ease or who are complacent in the city of God, the place where God dwelt. It's an amazing thing that churches can actually have people who sit and are quite comfortable just being in church. Look, folks, I, it, it's like what one preacher said. I've come to uh, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. So if you are comfortable in your, your spiritual existence today, I'm hopefully going to put a couple of tacks where you're sitting. And you're not going to feel quite so comfortable. Let me say this about the title of the message real quick. The terminology bugs me. It has bugged me for a long time. I've never spoken about this. I honestly have not preached this type of message before. But the terminology, the question that we ask, bugs me. And I'll tell you why. Can you lose your salvation? That is something that has become accepted, and that's the reason why I preach it today, and I've used it as the subject or the title of this message. But the idea of this question sort of lends itself to the concept that somehow the individual who might be in question about where they are in Christ had nothing to do with where they are. Now, how many of you know God created you with a will? All right? Are we here? Are we in the same page on this? Or do you think we're robots? God did not create a bunch of robots. 
If he did, you would not be able to choose anything in your life. You wouldn't have been able to choose to get up and pick out the outfit that you decided to wear to church this morning. You would have no ability to choose anything. The fact that you have a will, brothers and sisters, lets me know that the subject of this message today and even that question sort of overpasses or overlooks the idea of a will. Secondly, it also lends itself to the concept or the thought that maybe somewhere along the way, God is just going to wake up and be so annoyed with you, he's just going to rip the salvation rug right out from under you, and all of a sudden, whoo, you're lost. I remember a number of years ago being in Bible college and being so distraught at one point. I think it was my junior year in Bible college. And I remember questioning my salvation. And this was not just your ordinary questioning. This was, it affected me. It affected me in a great way. And one wise person wrote to me and said, listen, the very fact that you are concerned about it lets you know that you're all right. And you know what, brothers and sisters, if we are striving to be in him, then I have no doubt today that you have nothing absolutely to worry about in this particular message. But let me just start by saying this, and let's move on a little bit here, and it is this. That having been said, let me just state right up front today that there are too many scriptures to ignore, some of which we're going to talk about today, that show that it is possible for a person to not lose their salvation, but of their own volition of their own will, turn around and walk away and reject the faith that they once walked in. Now, we'll talk about some of the objections to that kind of idea in just a few moments. But let me just state very clearly where I'm coming from today. I believe that it is possible for an individual who has given their heart to Jesus Christ, who has decided to serve him with all of their heart, their soul, and their mind, to all of a sudden, on, on, and it's a process of time. It's not something that happens overnight. It's not that one sin that you slip up into and somehow you just, you know, things get bad. It is a process by which people begin to, and this is also found in the scripture, begin to back slide and they begin to go back into the world that they once lived in now we'll talk about some of the objections to that and hopefully I want to answer some of those objections by the very scriptures that are often used to object to it so stick with me if you would let me give a little bit of background to this and it where does this dispute this issue come from well two people who lived a long, long time ago. You might have heard of a man by the name of John Calvin. Don't get a glazed over look here at this point, folks, all right? Stick with me. Everybody, you know, shift a little bit in your seats. Let me know you're still awake, all right? John Calvin promoted the idea of eternal security, among other things, eternal security in his systematic theology book entitled The Institutes of Christian, the Christian Religion. It is, I have it in my library somewhere. I, I don't know exactly where it is. It is a book approximately that thick. And he uh, wrote it initially in French. It was translated, uh, French I think, maybe Latin, I don't remember. But he, was, he was, uh, wrote it and it's a ginormous book, has lots of tiny print in it and it's not an easy read. But he promoted this idea and the argument essentially was this, that when those who were elect gave their hearts to Christ, finally, they were forever sealed for redemption. Therefore, they could not fall from grace or lose their salvation. All right? They, once they came into the kingdom, there was nothing that could eliminate that position. Absolutely nothing, including the individual including themselves. Then there was a contemporary of Calvin, a man by the name of James Arminius, who came along and said, you know, I'm looking at Scripture and I don't quite see it the way that you see it. I see it a little bit differently than you. 
And he taught this, that though you cannot do anything to earn your salvation, and I affirm that today, and we're going to talk about that too, though you cannot do anything to earn your salvation, you both can choose to accept or reject Christ. In other words, he said, your will plays a part in your salvation. And your will can also play a part in you deciding to turn around, walk away from Christ and say, no, I no longer want to serve you. I'm going to go back into the world. But let me affirm this one thing before we get worried about where we stand on salvation. And it is this. I believe that we are saved by faith. There isn't anything that you can do to earn it. Go with me now to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It's really silent in here. But that's all right. This subject, I think, lends itself to a little bit of silence. Just don't fall asleep on me. I know it's warm in the building, but hang with us. Salvation is by faith. Listen to what Paul writes. He says this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. Did you see that? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith, brothers and sisters, is something that you exercise. This is your part. The gift has been held out. The price has been paid on the cross. God has already done a great work. But brothers and sisters, the Bible lets us know it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not how? By works. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough to come to Christ. There isn't anybody in this room who can shape up enough to be holy enough for God to say, you know what, you're just so good, I'm going to let you into the kingdom. Can't happen. Isn't going to happen. Paul says, not by works so that no one can boast. The idea here is, God is the one who has is, who is presented it. He has clothed us, those who come to him in faith. He has clothed us with salvation, with righteousness. So salvation, the Bible lets us know, cannot be earned. Romans 3 and verse 10 says this. There is none righteous, no, not one. Not one of you was good enough for Jesus. Not one of you was good enough for God. There isn't anybody in this room who can ever say, I was good enough to come to Christ. Nobody was. I wasn't. You weren't. No one. There is none righteous. Not one. Now, I know the the popular pop psychology and philosophy of the day is, well, everybody's basically good. No, they're not. I'm sorry. If you buy into that idea, you're going against Scripture. Scripture says there isn't one who's righteous, not One, salvation, not only can it not be earned, but salvation, the Bible says, is a gift of God. The Bible says it is the gift, Ephesians 2 and verse 8, we just read it. There is no doubt that the salvation, this salvation is a gift of God. It is a gift that cannot be worked for and is completely and totally undeserved. I got to tell you, that's the powerful grace of God. That you and I could sit here today and recognize that there isn't anybody in this room who deserves what God has done for you. You don't deserve what Jesus did for you on the cross. I don't deserve what Jesus has done, but yet he did it for us. Anyway, Romans 5 and verse 8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The first part of that verse says that God demonstrated that is he showed us how much he really loved us you want to know how much God loves you you need to start looking a little bit more at the cross not this particular one hanging on the wall but start reading in John 19 and see how much it is that Jesus really loves you 
He loved you so much he went to the cross for you. You, you didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. Look, I was raised in a preacher's home. God help the preacher's kids. <laughs> oh, boy. My wife was raised in a preacher's home. And I got to tell you, we got stories of the old life. The old life. The way things were before Jesus. But being in a preacher's home did not cause me to be able to deserve my salvation. I didn't deserve it because my dad was a pastor and a godly man at that. He was a man of prayer, a man of the word. He was a man I hope to be like one day. I'm still trying. He's with the Lord now. But I got to tell you that being in that home, you, you, you had to serve the Lord. But I wasn't. You see, just because you're in a certain place doesn't mean you're in the place with God that you should be. I didn't deserve salvation because of where I was born. You don't deserve salvation because of how you grew up. We are undeserving of this wonderful, wonderful gift. Now, turn over in your Bibles, if you would, to Titus, the book of Titus chapter 2. Saving grace is also teaching grace. Salvation is the gift of God. Salvation can't be earned. But saving grace is teaching grace, and it's going to teach us to do something when we encounter sin. Listen to what the Bible says. It says this, starting at verse 11, Titus chapter 2, starting at verse 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us, listen to this, this is the grace of God. This is how powerful the grace of God is in your life when you give your heart to Christ, you accept Him as Savior, and you receive this wonderful gift of salvation. The grace of God, the Bible says, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. No, no, you don't have to give in. Now, I know that there, are, there is the thought process. I don't know who came in. Could we just check and see and make sure it was not a grown-up who... It's okay. Oftentimes, we, we kind of get to the point where we say, well, you know, I got to give in to sin. I got to give in to the flesh. It's just the way we are. You know, we sin every day. You know, the Bible is very clear that you don't actually have to give in to sin. Why would John write in the first epistle of John chapter 2, he says that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Not when we sin, if we sin. Brothers and sisters, do you know you don't actually have to give in to the flesh? You don't have to sin. Why? Because the grace of God can teach you to say no. No, Nancy Reagan couldn't do it back in the 80s. Everybody remember Nancy? Dear old Nancy, first lady of the United States. The Just Say No campaign. And I came across an article uh, as I'm trying to get rid of some old stuff, uh, of some old files. I came across an article of a group of teens. And the article said this. The heading was that it is naive of people to say or to think that we can just say no. And you know what? They're right. They were absolutely right. I'm sorry, Nancy. Just saying no is the operation of the grace of God in somebody's life. And apart from Jesus Christ, you can't say no to the flesh. But with him, you can it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that verse a little bit more in detail next week. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. You're not under the power of sin anymore. If you have given your heart to Jesus Christ, you don't have to sin. 
redeem us from wickedness, let me end that verse, and to purify for himself a people of his very own, eager to do, eager to do what is good. Now, how do we know that the will is involved in salvation? How do we know? I want to just deal with a couple of verses of Scripture because I believe that it is clear in Scripture that the will is involved. Now, there is the belief and the idea that salvation is only for a few. John Calvin was also an individual who promoted this idea, that it's only for a few, for the elect. That is, let me just say this briefly, the doctrine of election, according to Calvin, was that God chose way beforehand, long before the world, who was going to be saved and who was not. At that point, when you accept that doctrine, the Great Commission becomes completely useless. And to me, I'd rather believe that Jesus was right as opposed to Calvin. If Jesus told his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel, he was saying, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Let's just take a look at this, shall we? Turn over to 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. Just so that we understand that God desires for all men to be saved. And that when you are chosen, the doctrine of election, Arminius was the one who understood and and saw that election was something you had when you were in Christ. Not before Christ, when you were in Christ. Then at that point, you have been chosen. Listen to what the Bible says, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you. Now, here it is. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. How can everyone come to repentance if God didn't choose certain people? If somehow there were certain, and this doctrine has thrown so many into a, 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 a spiritual nightmare, simply because there are those who think, but you know, I'm in the church, I came to an altar of prayer, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ, but what if I'm not one of the elect? That, that creates a problem, and it creates a scriptural problem. Anytime you see the doctrine of election or predestination in the Bible, in Ephesians chapter 1, in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, it talks about it. It is when you are in Christ, you are elect. Otherwise, John 3, 16 is pointless. And Jesus was the one who spoke those words. In fact, shall I read it? For God so loved what? A few in the world? No, the world. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever, it doesn't matter how down and out you are, doesn't matter how bad you've been, doesn't matter what kind of a mean person you've been, doesn't matter what kind of crime you've committed, it doesn't matter how many mistakes you have made, the whoever still applies to you and it still applies to the man or the woman that is out on the street. Whoever is whoever. It's all encompassing. It's not, it's not just a few, it is whoever. Now you say, Pastor, clear to you, you're preaching a denominational kind of view. No, I'm actually not. There are denominations that within the denomination itself, there is a split among these views. Don't think I'm preaching. Well, I come from a Pentecostal background. I'm in a Pentecostal denomination. But don't think I'm preaching just, you know, Pentecostal doctrine. This is found in the Baptists. It's found in the Methodists. It's, the division is there in, in all of these different denominations. I'm here, I I see this in Scripture, brothers and sisters, and you cannot ignore the fact that God says it's whoever who wants to come. Jesus said, all who are weary, let them come to me. And I'll give you, if he only meant a few, folks, that I got to tell you, brothers and sisters, today we might be sunk. But I, I, I got a hunch that the Bible is right. I got a hunch that that the word of God is still true. And that when, when he talks about the world and he talks about whoever, he means whoever. 
There's a whole lot of, lot of dancing that has to go on around this scripture to somehow get past it to explain it away. Now, it's clear from scripture that you have a will. You absolutely have a will. There is no doubt about it. In fact, let's go to some of these scriptures to show you a little bit about how your will is involved in salvation. You're, if you're in John 3, John, let's go to John chapter 3. We read a couple of verses of scripture we want to see right there. John chapter 3 and verse 18. We already, already read verse 16. Let's jump down to verse 18. The Bible says this. Your, your will is involved in salvation or the rejection of it. The Bible says this, John 3, 18. Whoever, now here is the word, the optimal word in this, where the will is involved. Whoever believes, whoever believes, God does not believe for you. This doctrine even goes to the point where some people say that God has to change you before you actually get saved. So there's actually a work going on before you get saved in order for you to get saved. You know, God gave you a will, but the Bible also says he's given us all a measure of faith. So this faith can be exercised beforehand. He holds it out and says, here is the free gift. Will you come to me? He doesn't violate your will. He doesn't change your will on, uh, without your permission to somehow make it so that you can then come to him. He doesn't do that. He draws. He invites. He says, come. All through scripture, you see this terminology used over and over. But listen, it says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So we see both things happening here. We see that Jesus showing that you have the will to believe and you have the will to reject. Now for most in Calvinism, they will believe and say that God's grace is irresistible. We believe and I believe that the Bible shows us that grace can be resisted. It's a dangerous thing, brothers and sisters, to push back at God when God is somehow trying to draw you to himself. There are people who sit in meetings just like this and maybe you're sitting in this meeting today and you sense the voice of the Spirit talking to you saying, you know what, it's time to come to Jesus. It's time to give your all to the Lord and yet you're pushing back. You've got excuse after excuse after excuse as to why you can't do it, as to why you shouldn't do it and I'm here to let you know today that when the voice of the Spirit is calling, do not reject Him. Don't reject Him. Jump down to John 3 and verse 36. The Bible says this. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. We see both, once again, the ability to believe and the ability to reject. God does not violate your will. He does not make you a robot in order for you to accept Jesus Christ. What kind of love would that be? What kind of an expression of love to God would that be? God changing us in a moment so that then we have the ability to accept him. That doesn't work that way. We already possess a will. He created Adam and Eve with a will. He created them all with a will. Brothers and sisters, you and I can accept it or reject it. First Peter, one more verse of scripture, and then I want to move on to the objections. Some of the objections to the doctrine that I'm preaching to you today, that of conditional security. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. 1 Peter 1 and verse 5, the Bible says, who through faith are shielded. Now, most of us look at that and we say, woo, shielded, yes. 
But how? Who through faith? Brothers and sisters, you and I must exercise faith. When faith is there for salvation, you are. You can jump on the word shielded all you want. As one of my professors, Pastor Doug Crandall, once said, you can jump on that one. And I, I and we used to, he, anytime he'd say that in class, we'd all go with our feet in class. He loved it. You can jump on that one. But you know what? Don't ignore what came before it. Who through faith, that is your will, exercised to, to say, Lord, I believe in you. I trust in you. I trust in the, the work that you did on Calvary, how you saved us, how you did a complete work, a full work. But brothers and sisters, it is there who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Who through faith. It is by faith. Now, what are some of the objections to the idea here that you could potentially walk away from your salvation. Like I said, I don't like the idea of, of the words lose. It's, it's as if, you know, like your, your toddler stole your keys and you can't find it and you had nothing to do with it. You know, and you're searching all over the house. Where did I leave the keys? Where did I leave the keys? And all of a sudden you find that the keys are in the toy box where the toddler threw them in there and you know it had nothing to do with you. You didn't do it. No, it's not, it's not that way, brothers and sisters. It's not about somehow losing it, but it is rejecting. It is the idea of walking away. And there are so many people who walk away from God for so many different reasons, so many different things. Let's get into some of these objections and what they are. The first objection, and I'm only going to only pick three. There are many of them, but I've picked three. One, God will not take back his gift of salvation. And to that I say I absolutely agree. He will not take back and will never take back the gift that has been given. But you can abandon that gift. It's like on Christmas. You know, how many of you will on Christmas morning, you might receive a gift or two. You look at that gift. You say, no, I don't want it. No, you'll accept the gift. And then all of a sudden the person who gave the gift will turn around and say, now, you know what? Give it to me back. I want that back. Give it. Come on. Give it back to me. No, but I like it. No, give it back to me. I want that instead. And you reluctantly say, okay, why'd you buy it for me? Clearly, you were buying it for you. God doesn't ever ask for the gift back. But brothers and sisters, I could sit there on Christmas Day when my children hand me a gift and say, I don't want that. All right, fine, I'll take it. But then later on, you give it back and say, I, I don't want anything to do with that gift. I don't like it. I don't like what it's going to do for me. I don't like anything about that particular gift. Please just take it back. I don't want it. You see, brothers and sisters, God does not stand in heaven looking who he can club over the head and take back the gift of salvation. He does not do that. But we have to be absolutely careful, very careful, about what we do with the gift that he has given. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31. Hebrews 10, verses 26 through 31 Listen to what the Bible says, and the writer of Hebrews is warning the Hebrew Christians. There are warnings all through the book of Hebrews. And if there was anybody who understood the covenant that was made on Calvary, the, the covenant, the new covenant, it was, it was this writer. He understood both the old covenant and the new covenant. And he shows all through the book how the new covenant in Christ, in his blood, is better than the old covenant. But listen to what he says. Verse 26, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. 
How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Imagine that. He says this, verse 26, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth. Now the dance starts on this particular verse of scripture. Receive the knowledge of the truth doesn't necessarily mean that they were saved. Brothers, and there's other terminology. You can go to Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, and that one has been ripped apart and ripped apart, and it has been danced around to the point where all of a sudden the individual that the writer is describing in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, somehow goes through all of this experience but never gets saved. I don't know how that's possible. I don't know how it's possible. But brothers and sisters, they will say, God won't remove it. Oh, you're absolutely right. But listen to what's happening. Listen where the, the blame is placed. It is placed on the individual. It is placed on the person who says, and the writer says, if we deliberately keep on sinning, if we keep giving into the flesh, if we keep going down the path of sin and doing the same nonsense over and over and over again, and there isn't an ounce within us that says, I got to break free from this. I got to get out of this. There isn't anything within us that says, this is wrong. I shouldn't be doing this. There isn't anything in you that says, I got to get out of this particular sin. He says, there is only one thing in store for you. Verse 27, only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Brothers and sisters, it is your choice that counts in all of this. You say the grace of God, isn't the grace of God powerful enough to save and to keep? Absolutely. It absolutely is. But brothers and sisters, when you don't want to plug into the grace anymore... You know, you, you can unplug this. I got a phone up here. You can unplug it. It's charging. It's a base there. And eventually the batteries are going to run out. If you don't plug it back in and put the phone back in that cradle, it's just going to go out. And that's how it is with us. We have got to stay connected to him. I don't have time to get into the verses of Scripture in John chapter 15 about the vine and staying connected to the vine. We've got to stay connected to him, brothers and sisters. We can't allow anything in the world to unplug us from the vine because when we do, the Bible lets us know that, that the vine at that point is only good for one thing, to be burned. Let's move on. The other objection, another objection is this, and I've got to hurry. Nothing can remove you out of his hand. Nothing can remove you. Let's go over to the book of John. Book of John chapter 10. And there is a verse of scripture that is often used in conjunction with this, as well as another passage in Romans. We'll read that in a moment. But the argument goes, but nothing can remove you. Out of his hand. And I got to say again, I agree. There is absolutely nothing can, that can remove you out of his hand. Nothing. No thing. Listen to what it says. They will often use verse 28 of John chapter 10. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one, get this, no one, not the devil, not anyone around you can snatch them out of my hand. But there is, and it's often, this doctrine is preached, and this idea, this objection is often associated with verse 28. But can we go up to verse 27 for a second? I want you to see something that's there. Verse 27 says this, my sheep listen to my voice. Now here it is, this is your part in all of this. You're not just sort of arbitrarily in the hand of God and nothing removes you. There is a reason for it. 
Not only because he's keeping you and he's helping you, he has given you eternal life, but why has he given you eternal life? Where does that eternal life come from? My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they what? Follow me. They follow me. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to let you know that nothing will remove you out of the hand of God as long as you continue to listen to him and to follow him. You've got to stay plugged into him. You can't walk out the door and say, I'm just going to live on my own, do my own thing, because, whoo, I went to the altar and I gave my heart to Jesus, and that's it, done deal. God, you got to let me into heaven. I don't think it works that way, folks. The Bible says that we've got to bear fruit of repentance. And if we're not bearing fruit of repentance, then something else is happening on the inside that shouldn't be happening. John, uh, Romans chapter 8, I want to read this verse of scripture this is often used as well in conjunction with this objection that nothing can remove you out of the hand of God and I again I agree nothing can remove you out of the hand of God but you can walk away from it and you know what God will do it's like us holding a little bug in our hand as it were and that bug wants to get out and we realize you know it's the bug's time to go the bug doesn't want to stay in my hand you let it go It flies away. And brothers and sisters, you have to be ever so careful. You and I have to be so careful about what it is that we're allowing into our lives, what it is that we allow into our spirits, and how it is that we we are living our lives. Are we living it to honor God and please him, or are we living it to please ourselves and to please our flesh? Nothing can remove you out of the hand of God. Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Amen. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced... That neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, there are some optimal things in this, and I don't have time to get into it all, but that last phrase says that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now listen, God loves everybody in the whole world. He loves us all, but it doesn't mean they're all in. And it does not indicate in this, the one thing that is absent out of this particular passage is the word salvation. It's the love of God. God, look, God loves everybody. He loves you this morning. But you know what? He loves the addict out on the street today who can't even see straight. Nothing's going to separate that addict from that love. But that addict doesn't know they're loved. They don't know the love of God is upon them. You're in Christ, brothers and sisters. You know the love of Christ. And oftentimes we look at that we say, well, nothing's going to separate us from the love of God. No, nothing will. God's not going to revoke his love from you. He's not going to take it back. I don't love you anymore. You know, like the little school child, children who play on the playground. I hear this every now and then, that so-and-so is not my friend anymore. (laughs) You know, they were playing so nice before. This person is not my friend anymore. And then a little while later, you see they're playing like nothing ever happened. You know, God's not like a school child. He doesn't take his love away. His love does not go away, brothers and sisters. It is the one constant thing about his character. God is love, the Bible says. But I'm here to let you know that that does not mean you cannot reject the love of God. You can't turn around and push it away and say, you know what, God, I'm done with you. But I still love you. Yeah, you may still love me, but forget it. Nowhere in these scriptures does it ever imply that you and I cannot of our own volition, of our own desire, walk away from and abandon our salvation. What these scriptures are really telling us is for those of us who are sheep, 
We've got to be listening to his voice. We've got to be following him. And those who do that are completely safe in his hand. There is no outside attack that can get you. No devil in hell can come against you. That is why we can stand on the word of God and we can say that though the enemy goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, we have the power to defeat the enemy. We have the power to overcome him. Why? Because greater is he who is where? In us than he who is in the world. Now, the last objection I want to just throw at you before we bring this message to a close is, well, then clearly that individual, if they turned around, they came to an altar, they confessed their sins, they prayed a sinner's prayer, whether it was of their own heart, maybe it was an emotional experience, then they were never really saved. Then they were never really saved. But my question is this, is that true of Saul, of the Old Testament? Is it true of Judas? Is it true even of Peter? Remember Peter? You know, confessing Peter, you know, Jesus, I love you. I'll go to prison for you. I'll even die for you, Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, you know what? Satan has desired to have you sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. And then later on that night, oh, Jesus, I'm not going to deny you, not me. Maybe those guys back here, but not me, man. I'm with you. That night, as Jesus was hauled away, Peter gets close enough to be somewhere where Jesus, he knows Jesus is, but not close enough to be associated with him. And remember the story, how it happened that he sat, and the Bible says he warmed himself there in the courtyard by the fire. And one, two, three people came by and says, hey, I recognize you. You're with that guy who's in there. They, they got in cuffs right now. Oh, no, no, no. You, you got it wrong. That's not me. Yeah, I know you. You're, you're a Galilean. Your speech betrays you. Your accent. You know, I know where you're from. You're from the north. I have a clear accent. Come on, you're with him. No. Final person, this little lady. He's a big burly fisherman. Little lady comes along. I know you. You're with Jesus. And the Bible says that he went so far as to call cursings down upon himself to prove that he was not associated with Jesus. In that moment, brothers and sisters, three times we see Peter falling away. But the great mercy and the power and the grace and the restoration that is found in Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, is on the, on the day that Jesus rose from the grave and the angels standing there talking to the, the, the ladies who had come to anoint the body of Jesus that was now missing. And he says, you know what? I want you to go back and tell his disciples. And he would do me a favor. Go tell Peter. I want to see him. And then we see the restoration, the end of the book of John, the restoration happening three times. Jesus saying to Peter, listen, do you love me? Oh, yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes. He denied him three times. Three times Jesus made him say it again. I, I love how Jesus did that. I'm glad he doesn't do that to us when we come to the altar again. And they were never really saved. John 6 and verse 66 says this, from this time, notice the wording, John 6, verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Many of his disciples, those who had followed Jesus, been with him almost constantly, turned back and no longer followed him. You still have a group who will harp on this and say, but how do you know they were saved? Well, I don't know. Uh, disciples might have a little bit to do with it, kind of clues us into that. But you know what? What really annoys me about this particular argument, I shouldn't say annoy, but what kind of gets to me is this, is you will have the group who will say, then they were never really saved. And I, as you've been hopefully hearing me preach clearly, 
I believe that it's possible to walk away from salvation, to have been saved, to walk away from your salvation, abandon it, and somehow be eternally lost as a result. And they'll say, but they were never really saved. And I say, but they were saved and now they're lost. But really, in the end, isn't the person still in the same place? They're still in the same spot. Well, they were never really saved. Okay, but then they need to be saved. Well, they were once saved, and now they're not. Well, but they need to come back to Christ. They need to come to him. We got to go get him. Can we go get him together? But I don't know that they're elect. Fine, stay here. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be mean-spirited. I'm really not. But, you, you know, you kind of get the idea here, folks, that we're, we're, we're somehow making and forming this exclusive group. It's not an exclusive group. The invitation is open to all, and yet there are some who will come. They'll hear the word, and you know what? The Bible says that some of the, the, the seed, it fell on stony ground. Other, you know, seed, it fell in a place where, where they were, it took root, and, and immediately at some point the birds came and snatched it away. I'm getting the order mixed up. Up, forgive me but you know e- either way there was a re- receiving with joy and somehow the cares of this life and the problems and the difficulties came along and they didn't stay either way folks this person is in a position where they need Christ who cares if they were never saved or they were saved and they fell away they need Jesus so where do we stand today Listen to what the Bible says. You don't need to turn there. You can write it down if you have a chance. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38 and 39. But my righteous one will live by faith. My righteous one will live how? By faith. Listen to what the writer says. If he shrinks back, the Bible says, I will not be pleased with him. This is God talking now saying, I'm not going to be pleased with him. If somehow I'm just going to step back and I, I don't want to, you know, give my life to Christ, I, I don't want to, to live for him anymore, I'm going to shrink back. Look, the whole point of the book of Hebrews is you've got to be moving forward. If you're not moving forward, then you're moving back. There's no in-between. There's no coasting. There's no laziness. There's no complacency. It doesn't get you anywhere. You've got to be moving forward in him. My righteous one will live by faith. The idea of living by faith is you keep moving forward in Christ. But we are not of those, verse 39, who shrink back and are destroyed. But of those who believe and are saved. Brothers and sisters, it's simple. God has made it so simple that we are to believe unto salvation. We are to believe and therefore we can be justified. And brothers and sisters, when it all comes down to it, I don't want to be like the one who shrinks back. Because the Bible says that there is a certain destruction. We believe that you are eternally secure as long as you remain in him by faith. But that it is possible for those who had once been saved of his or her own will and decision to turn from so great a salvation and suffer eternal punishment. That it's possible. You say, I don't like that doctrine. Okay, then you can choose the doctrine that you want that makes you feel the most comfortable. Because you know why? God has given you a will to do so. And you can choose that, and it can make you feel comfortable. It can make you feel as though everything is fine. I don't have to worry about anything. I can go live however I want to live. I can violate Scripture. You know, and there are actual Bible teachers. Men of God, I've grown, listened to on the radio. I've had their books. I've, I've watched them on TV who have gone so far as to say it doesn't matter what you do. Somebody, if I were to mention his name, you'd all know him. And I'm not going to do that because it's not about that. Say that it's possible for a person when they give their heart to Jesus Christ, you give your heart to Jesus and yet you somehow go back and you're in a state of unbelief, you're still going to be saved. Now that's really one that you might want to latch on to. But I got to tell you, you better be careful because the Bible says something different about that. It says something vastly different. We believe in the conditional security of the believer and it is conditioned upon these things. Faith in Christ, obedience to Christ, 
sin that needs to be met with repentance and harshness. And by that, I simply mean when Jesus says in Mark chapter 9, verses 43 through 48, he says this, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your arm offends you, cut it off. If your foot offends you, cut it off. It's better for you to go into heaven footless, eyeless, armless, whatever, but still be in heaven than it is to go with your whole body into hell. We've got to meet sin in our lives with great harshness. Deal with it swiftly. Deal with it harshly. And deal with it in repentance. We've got to remain in him. John 15 and verse 6 says, If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. That whole part of John, section of John 15 talks about abiding in him, remaining in him. The Greek word for remain here indicates that it is a present and continuous remaining or abiding. It's not something that you unplug from. It's something that you stay connected to. And the Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. But my righteous one will live by faith. Brothers and sisters, I haven't preached a doctrine of works today. It is still all by faith. There is no way that you can live the Christian life on your own, in your own ability, and somehow hope that God is always going to be happy with you because of what you do. It's not about that. It is about faith and by faith. I say, what do I do this morning? If I've found that I've gotten lazy, complacent, maybe in my heart I've found that, you know, there's just... There's a part of me that wants to run back to him. There's a part of me that knows I've strayed away. What do I do? Can I come back? Can I come back? You know, we look at people like Saul. We look at people like Judas. We think, you know, it seems from Scripture they were eternally lost. Couldn't they come back? And I say a wholehearted absolutely they could have. But they wouldn't. Can I have your heads bowed and eyes closed for a moment? Jesus told the parable of the prodigal son. I'm not going to rehash it all. But the Bible shows us what happened in the heart of this young man. After he went out and he spent all that his father had given him, he rejected his father's way of life. He rejected everything that his father had done for him. He squandered the wonderful gift that his father had given to him. He went off and did his own thing. Now he's out there and he's out and he's digging in the pig pen to try to find some food to eat. And he's not just, he's not just down and out. I mean, this guy's low. He's in the mud digging for food. And it dawns on him, he says, you know, in my father's house, my servants, the servants in my father's house have it better than I do. But just listen to what verse 17 says. It says of Luke 15, it says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. And he says this, this is pivotal. And crucial. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Make me like the hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. And the Bible lets us know that from a great distance, his father wasn't sitting there with, you know, with a bow and arrow ready to take this guy out as soon as he saw him. He was sitting there waiting for his son to return. And the Bible lets us know that his father ran to him and he hugged him and he kissed him and he let him know, you're my son. Today I receive you back. Maybe you've strayed away from the Lord. Maybe you've allowed the things of the world to get in. 
And slowly, over a process of time, you, you have grown so cold to the things of God that you can sit in church and never once be moved by the message that you hear, never once be moved by a worship service, never once be moved by anything that the Bible is talking about. You can get up and you can walk out of here and you can go on with your life as if nothing ever happened. I want to tell you, today is the day for you to come to your senses and realize that all you're doing right now is feeling around in the pit pen for something to fill your empty void on the inside of you and that something is Jesus you will only be filled by him you're here today and you know that you've strayed away from him you say well can I be born again again well it seems as though you can because the Bible lets us know that when this man came back and the younger brother got upset, said, I've worked for you, Dad. I've, I've been here all along, and you're throwing a party for this guy. He said to him these words. He said, you know what? He said, my son was gone. He was dead. But now he is alive again. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, I don't know where you stand today spiritually. But I don't know about you, but I want to make it to heaven. I, I don't want to be one of those individuals where I'll be surprised that I didn't go. I want to make it. And you know what? We can make it by faith today. It's not anything that you can do, but it is by faith today to say, Lord, I'm coming back to you. If you're here, you know you need to come back to Jesus. You know you need to give your all to him. Maybe you sense in your heart, I've strayed away. I've backslidden. I'm not where I should be with God. Then I want to challenge you. Today is the day for you to come running back to him.